What's happening, everybody? This is Ryan here with Scale Up Show. Have a special guest on, the founder and COO of OB Insurance, Aaron Lightsetter. Uh, something really cool that he's done is he identifies a mistake that cost him two years of progress on top of it to drop some really cool AI use cases at the end. It gets hyper tactical on building a business, what could go right, what could go wrong. So really interesting episode and I will see you in there. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale-Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Aaron Letzeiser, who is the co-founder and COO at OB Insurance, fellow Chicagoan like myself. Uh, prior to founding OB, Aaron started and grew several successful companies. He's seen an exit. One of the coolest things that I think he's done is at one point, he was the owner of a largest distributor of red plastic glasses to colleges in the Midwest. That's not highly specific. I don't know what is. In addition to OB, he's an active real estate investor and a venture partner at a venture capital group. Um, also graduated from Michigan State, was named a Forbes 30 under 30 list. Aaron, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Um, loving the uh, the hustle that you had uh, to make that happen. But before we get in anything to that, let's do a real quick revenue rundown. So at what stage of the journey are you at in terms of the, of revenue and, and where you guys are at organizationally? Yeah, so we, um, uh, OB, OB's a, we're an insurance technology company. Um, we're sitting right now at uh, about eight figures in, in you know, mid, mid eight figures in, in total uh, annual sales, um, and insurance premiums that we sell. Okay. Excellent. So series, series B company, uh, venture backed, uh, and continuing to grow. Okay. Excellent. And how large is your team? Uh, we've got about a hundred employees. Okay, cool. Uh, and then you said you're venture backed at the same time. Can you give us like a, a couple sentence description of your solution, what it is and who it serves? Yeah. So we are a, uh, we're, uh, we're an insurance technology company that is uh, hyper-focused on residential real estate investors. So uh, most of your investors, there's 17 million of them in the United States. They spend about $65 billion a year on insurance premiums to cover their rental properties. Uh, and most of these folks are really just your mom and pops, right? They're not, you know, as the, the, the New York Times might say, like, Wall Street owns your home. It's, it's, it's not true, right? It's usually your, your retirees, your mom and pops that own a couple of these units. Um, and they're the folks that it takes them usually on average about five to seven business days to actually turn around a quote to get insurance. Nobody likes insurance, myself included, uh, when I have to do my renewals. And so uh, we make it very easy and transparent and instant for somebody to be able to go on, enter their information and get a quote right then and there. Love that, man. So how did you come up with the concept of this? And I mean, I know you co-founded this with a, another founder, but like, how did you come up with this? And like, what was the path to making that happen? Yeah, so started the company actually with my brother, uh, also named Ryan. Uh, coincidentally enough, um, his background was real estate, private equity. I had had my my insurance license uh, for a while. I used to hustle my friends for their home and auto uh, or their renters insurance and their auto insurance back in college. Um, and you know, we we had gotten to a point where Ryan was getting really frustrated by using Excel spreadsheets for everything. Um, so the first version where where Obi ended up today is not where we originally started. It was going to be a part of that. Um, but the original solution was like an asset management tool. It's really just taking all of the information about your assets that you own and throwing them into a solution. Um, and our, our kind of edge to that, um, especially being 
uh, bootstrapped at the time, Midwest founders, uh, not a lot of venture capital out here, no networks out in the coastal uh, or, or VC Valley markets. Um, and we said, you know what, we're going to get some traction. We're going to make it free. And I knew from my insurance background that all the information that we were going to have would make it really easy for somebody to get an insurance quote. And so Ryan and I actually would go out, we did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of demos and people liked the solution, but then, you know, they're like, all right, this is great. How much is it going to cost me? And we say, you know what, it's going to be free. And that's when their eyes perk up a little bit, especially guys in the real estate space. And they're like, all right, what's the catch, right? What's the scam? We say, no scam. We're just going to make it really easy for you to go out and get an insurance quote, right? And we can say, you know, uh, syndicate this out to a bunch of different insurance carriers, pull in really competitive quotes because all of this real-time information already exists in your platform. And Ryan, it was like they had completely forgotten the 45 minutes that we just spent showing them all the stuff that we had spent a bunch of time and money on. And all they wanted to talk about was how much they hated their insurance process. And so eventually, after like beating our heads up against the wall, uh, we finally got it through our, our thick skulls that maybe this, maybe, maybe Obi's actual value add and Obi's fit in the market was the insurance solution part of what we wanted to build here. And so that, that really became the jumping off point. I think really the accelerant on, on Obi's business um, that grew into where we're at today. Really interesting. So it took you 200 demos to like crack the understanding of that or crack the code on that? Oh, I mean, at, at, at least, right? I mean, you know, your, your early demos are like early features and everything else. I mean, we, you know, we kind of, we were, we were, we were building this insurance process inside of our own solution um, at the same time. And we kept hearing it, but we were also getting some traction on the platform, right? And I think what we also found is that we were giving away a free platform. So much like you get anything for free, you're not valuing what it is that we're on. The only thing that over time we saw a lot of engagement with is that people always wanted to get their insurance quotes. They might not actually be actively on a daily or weekly or monthly basis using the solution, but they always had things to do on the insurance side. And so eventually, you know, over a good probably nine to 12 month period, we were fortunately making some money on the insurance stuff. And so it, it you know, it made it harder to separate from the original baby of an idea that we had. Uh, but eventually we, you know, we, we did get that. Uh, we turned off all the code, uh, had a had a funeral for OB 1.0. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it was fortunately and in hindsight, the uh, the thing we should have done sooner. Right. As most founders you start something, uh, you know that there's probably a better avenue, but you know you've tied so much potential capital and, and lines of code and everything into it. Um, I think in the back of our minds, we always knew the right the right route to go, and, and fortunately, it worked out for us. Okay, so after going through that, know what you know now. Like going back in a time machine, what would you do differently to to make sure you avoid all that pain? And- oh, I mean. You know, we we got we got really lucky as Midwest founders. We got accepted to Y Combinator's program back in 2019, and and the biggest thing that you know that they always uh, preach is you know make something people want and talk to your customers, right? Like we 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 should have as we were talking to them, also listening to exactly what it was that they were saying, and we should have gone back and continued to iterate on the ideas and the things that we were hearing about, as opposed to the really cool features that we thought that we built for them. Right, like, oh, I know that you want to talk about your insurance, and we'll get you an insurance quote. But let me show you this really cool rent roll uh, uploader that that you can throw into this thing, right? And they care about it, but their business is working, right? Especially when we got started, the the real estate market was booming for a lot of these investors, and so sure, they're still collecting rent by check, or or you know, they're managing this stuff on a spreadsheet, but their insurance is still such a pain for them, 
right? And so in hindsight, we, we really should have continued to listen to our customers and utilize that as the, the guiding principle of what we, what we ended up building. And I think if, if we had done that, we would be, you know, a year or two years ahead of where we're at today. Really? Okay. So tactically, like, how would you execute that? How many would you interview? What would be your process? Like, how would you access them? Like, we'd just love to hear that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because the, the solution that we originally built, it's still something that I think is needed in the market. And it's something that, um, you know, from a, from an execution standpoint, you really have to go and take some of the ideas or the features that you might want to build on something that's already getting some traction, um, or you're, that you're getting some positive, you know, feedback on maybe an alpha or a beta version, put a couple of these features in front of people, ask them what it is that they think is their biggest pain point, and then start asking questions about all of them, right? It goes back to that whole, uh, the, you know, the quote that Henry Ford uh, had, right? If you ask people what they wanted, they wanted faster horses, they didn't want cars. And so you really need to dig into the reason that somebody wants it, how often would they use it? How much would they pay for it? Right, like that's a really powerful question because they might like your feature, but would you pay five dollars a month for it? An extra ten, an extra twenty-five? Like, what is that? What is that pain point worth? And I think the 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 benefit of of time now is recognizing some of these really important questions that I just you know as a young entrepreneur didn't know to ask, right? And that's that's the biggest thing, right? And I think that was a piece that we missed out on. We took a bet and we said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to make this thing free because everybody loves free and we'll get all this user adoption because it's free, right? And fortunately, we're making money on this ancillary product, but we really did learn a lot of really good lessons through that period um, that I think you know, any, any founder, any operator uh, really can, can, I think, take to heart and get to a, you know, a closer decision point um, from those meetings. So how many it is, it, it really depends. But after five or 10, you're starting to hear the exact same thing. Start to drill down on that. Find the people that will dedicate that time with you um, that you can follow up with after you've made some iterations or some feature improvements on some of the stuff that they gave you feedback on and continue to see, would you still pay $5 a month for this? Would you still pay $25 a mm -hmm. month for this? Would you pay not more based on how we've improved that? That's going to be your guiding principle because when you get to the end of that and you say, okay, Ryan, I've done all of this for you. You said you'd pay $25 a month. Where can I send the invoice? Right. And then if they're like, well, you know, I mean, I was just kind of thinking about it. Right. <laughs> that's, that's your decision point. That's your jumping off point. That is what tells you whether or not you're actually on the right path. So this is very product market fit, product orientated. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to nail it. Right. Like on the product side. And that's something personally I'm still working on because it was never a deep focus for me. You know, um, so I, I get it. And it's I've talked to other founders and they're like, yeah, that's 90% of founders make the mistake because they over-index on their idea versus actually real world feedback, right? Totally. I mean, you I mean you're you're married to it, right? Like th this is your baby. You have created it, you're excited about it. Um, it is it is hard to make that pivot. Um, you know, both from a functional standpoint and just like a, a mental and emotional standpoint. Right. And the further you get down that path, the harder it is. And so the more customer feedback that you can get, the more honest feedback um, from from customers or potential customers that you can get is is all that much more powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So true. So true. How 
Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Okay, so let's fast forward, right? Now you're at the Series B level. Like, how did you get from there where you had... Well, first of all, did, did that create massive problems for you from a cash flow perspective, considering you're saying, you know, you almost made a one to two year mistake of kind of the way you approach things? Did that, did that stifle you in terms of, you know, being able to comfortably live and, and support the company? Or how did that kind of... Oh, yeah. I mean, we we were, um, you know, back back when we were starting this, even even, you know, being being kind of post product, post revenue to some extent. Right. Um, Limited. But but it's still there. You know, we we were out trying to fundraise. Right. That's what everybody was doing. We were trying to live the tech lifestyle and 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 run that path. We were having a lot of difficulty fundraising. We didn't have a network of, of venture capital investors. We were, you know, two two Midwestern state school kids, right? Like we we didn't have that, um, and so we were we were uh, we were funding this out of our own pocket uh, for the longest time until right around the summer of 2019 when we were able to do our seed round um, with with substantial traction and and progress. But yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, um, and again, you know, the the fortunate thing is that we still had a product that even though we could not at the time let go of that original OB 1.0 idea, we were still making some money on the insurance side. Like some part of our business was actually seeing really good, um, you know, recurring revenue coming through the door. And so that was, that was both, uh, I think masking the larger problem that we had, which is that we needed to kind of get rid of the, the original part of the platform, but it also allowed us to continue to grow. Um, and so for us, it, it, you know, it became a good, uh, catalyst, um, but also I think a pretty tough, you know, 12 to 18 months of, of building code for something that ultimately we would just have to end up turning off. Um, but we've had really good, you know, really good advisors along the way. There's a, there's another gentleman here, uh, in Chicago, his name's Troy Hanikoff. He runs a, a venture capital group called math, uh, ventures. And he told Ryan and I, uh, really early on, do one thing and do it well. Right. And that was that was a piece of advice that, again, you know, as every entrepreneur will 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 understand it's advice you should have taken sooner. But it was it was advice that was uh, uh, it was hard fought wisdom that he had had um, and something that has continued to stay true, even as the company has grown. Right. Even at the Series B level, the things that we do and the projects and the priorities that we focus on, um, we really don't want to go a mile wide and inch deep. We want to go pretty deep into the areas that are being really successful. How do we become a master of those? And then how do we do the next thing? And not until we become really a master at what that product or what that feature or what that offer looks like, do we then start to move into other parallel paths? Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, that was going to be my follow-up is this like, what exactly do you mean? Because like, obviously that's um, very common to hear that, right? Do one thing and do it well. Uh, and it's, so it's easy to discount, even though it's sage advice at the same time, right? So like... In terms of like approaching that with, with building out the platform now and, and how you kind of approach it, like do you do you do you benchmark it versus others in terms of like this is world class now, it's time to add another product, or like what's kind of like your internal framework for deciphering that? 
Yeah, I mean, we've 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 kind of talked about it as like filling the toolbox, right? So like we each one of these features is is kind of its own toolbox, and when we feel like that we filled it with all of the things that we could substantively do to make it 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 better. At some point, then it's really just going to be incremental, right? We'll continue to work on it. We'll continue to optimize. We'll continue to have a team dedicated to it. But you know where Obi ended up is, and and our our uh, go to market strategy right now is that we really took what we did in Obi 1.0 instead of you know embedding our own insurance tool inside of our own solution. We now embed it into everybody else's. Right. So all the other prop tech solutions that are out there, we said, why are we fighting this battle? Right. Like why, why are we, we're trying to sell the SaaS product, trying to sell insurance, shut that one down. Ryan and I said the, 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 the thesis still works, right. People want to be able to, to buy insurance in a faster, cleaner, more transparent way. And so for us, we would start going out to these different verticals with different partners. We said, wow, there's so much interest here. Let's focus on one. Right. Let's be the best that we can when we integrate with lender software or inside of property management software. Let's go as deep as we can get there. Let's solve all the problems that exist there. And then let's put that one, you know, more or less on autopilot. Right. We've done as much as we can. Now it's incremental maintenance. How do we continue incrementally better? How do we now take what we've learned and then move that into the next segment? What's the other vertical that Obi can attack? What's the other vertical where we can take the same features, the same build, the same infrastructure, the same learnings, and start doing that in a very similar but different vertical? Um, that's what's been very successful for us. Um, and it's really one of those things where you look at, at the vertical and you look at what it is that you're, you're working on. You say, all right, like we, we've done as much as we can here. How do we continue to add on, right? What is the next step? What's the next stair step that we can do in order to continue to create efficiencies uh, and progress and revenue growth in the business. Yeah, that makes sense. I like the idea. It's really interesting that you said you embed your product into other folks' products because there's, I mean, massive amount of tools that have gotten rolled out this year alone. So how did you do that? Like, I don't hear a lot of companies talk about embedding their product into other products. Like, like what was kind of the approach and the thought process for that? Yeah, I mean, so much of that came from you know, the, the, the original thesis around OB 1.0, right. It was, it was, you know, people need a people real estate investors, right. Anybody in the, in the property space needs tools to be able to operate. And that's, that's a trend that's only going to, to, to get better and continue to grow. And they also really hate their insurance process. And so, you know, while we, we kind of uh, deprecated that first version of OB, we really took the exact same thesis the same way we were selling it, we got very lucky, right? Like we had done all of these demos. We already knew how to sell this. We were selling it out to customers and out to real estate investors, but we basically took that exact same pitch. We took out the OB 1.0 version of it and we took it to then these other prop tech platforms or these other software platforms that were serving the same segment of user. And we said, hey, you know, you want to continue to add more value add services to your platform. Your customers really hate insurance. You have a lot of really good proprietary data that would make it easy for them to do it. And, you know, we'll, we'll pay you a referral fee effectively, right? And so these are the different ways that we can do it. This is the way it would create a lot of value. Um, let's give it a shot, right? These are the pain points that you all find um, with, with your clients or that your clients find in insurance. And this is how your platform can continue to stay even stickier, right? In the SaaS space, like, you know, you want to, de- you, you want to continue to add on the different, uh, the different upsells that you can, 
um, and you also want to decrease churn. Well, how do you keep your platform stickier? You continue to add on all of these other either direct features or these other ancillary partnerships that keep your platform sticky. So, so many of our customers have never actually come to the OB website. They've always interacted with us through this other platform. So if you leave that platform, not only are you leaving them, you're leaving your insurance too, right? And so it becomes an easy sell for us with the partner. And that's how we've ultimately grown uh, the, you know, the, the overall business. Hmm. Okay. So did you, I love that. So you did it basically, would you not hook up then with competing um, programs basically or, or partners? So then they had that kind of exclusivity. Did you kind of do that by design? Yeah, oh, ab- absolutely. I, you know, I think with, with a lot of service providers, I want to know that I'm the only one that's on the platform because then I can control the levers inside of their platform and, and can really try and work to A-B test the ways that we want to drive that funnel and that adoption. And then for the partner, they know that they always have one person to hold accountable, right? They get to wring my neck and my neck only, right? And, that, and that's great because then there's a, a really nice, uh, there's a really nice synergy between both the service provider and the partner to ensure that their client wins. Right? How does the insurance experience inside of a property management platform, or a lender who's trying to close on a loan, or you know, a marketplace online where somebody's trying to buy a property? Right? Like, how can we make that experience for their clients even better? Because most people really dislike the insurance process, and so if we can align everybody's incentives inside of that workflow, then they get to become a more stickier SaaS platform. And OB also has really low customer acquisition costs. Those platforms are the ones that are finding our perfect types of clients for us. So all I need to do is then work collaboratively with that partner to make sure that I am driving the most efficient and effective funnel as possible. Hmm. Love that. So basically, it's almost like it, like you're saying, like a referral fee or affiliate model that you're leveraging with that as your primary go to market. So then like you're, it's more of like a partner ecosystem, non-competing partners that you're embedded into. And then you get pieces of that. Is that correct? Or they get pieces? Yeah, yeah, totally. And and there's no, it becomes something that's like there, there's no downside, right? And I think the the nice thing for Obi is that we were the first to market to be able to do insurance digitally for this segment. And so it's not it's it's always been a pain point for a lot of our partners and their clients, but it, there's never been an actual solution for them. And so for us, being the first to market allowed us to really build a nice defensible moat because. Insurance is a commodity. Once you're embedded inside of these platforms, as long as the partner's happy and their clients are happy, they're never going to replace OB with something that's effectively the exact same thing. It's not worth the engineering effort, the partnership effort. And so for us, it really does build a very nice flywheel um, for us to be able to continue to build the business on. Okay. I like it a lot, ma'am. So are there any challenges you've run into with that go-to-market at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that there's, um, you know, I, I would say two things. I mean, one one thing that's that's certainly outside of our control is is market conditions, right? As as any founder, um, you know, any type of B two B or SaaS type business, right? As the market ch- conditions start to change, um, for us specifically, it was, you know, obviously interest rates are going up. Our some of our best partners are lenders throughout the United States, some of the biggest lenders in the country. Yeah. And as their volume starts to dry up, that trickles down into the different service providers like an OB. Um, and so certainly seen some challenges there. We've been able to really successfully mitigate that um, with our other vertical partners. And then the other thing, too, is I, I would just say, um, 
you know, it, it really goes back to, I think, some of the the, the conversations earlier is, is really staying focused, right? You start to see that one vertical is working um, and then you want to be all things to all people. So ensuring that you do stay really focused um, has been, you know, something that that we always try and continue to work on. And then the third is, is how do you start to operationalize that process internally, right? You know, you've, you've got experience with this as well, right? You want to build a sales team um, that, that creates a repeatable process through, uh, you know, a, a successful uh, sales funnel, right? How do we manage that? Um, how do we get better at that? How do we service our partners and their clients? Um, and as that team grows, how do we ensure the quality does not also drop off um, in parallel? And I think for us, you know, we had very good product market fit, which means that we didn't need to spend a lot of time on the sales team, right? Like that, that really clear development, those really clear SOPs, um, that really good, like, you know, uh, A-B tested scripting, right? Like we've been able to sell the product, but it's also required us to grow that sales team. And as it's gotten bigger, it's required us to really go back to kind of first principles and, and sit there and say, all right, like what, what would this have looked like if we had started over, right? Like what are those SOPs? How do we want people to actually operate? What are the KPIs by which we want to start to to measure the business, um, and that's something that uh, you know has has been a a fun challenge, I think, to to tackle as we start to grow. So true, so true. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like you did such a good job of once you hit that product market fit that it's really easy to ignore the basics, and then once you start scaling it, it scales the challenges as well, <laughs> right? <laughs> They become more yeah. pronounced, if you will, right? Or more obvious, I should say, because you're just like, what's going on with this rate, right? So um, yep. so totally makes sense. So we're, we're just about up on time, Aaron. So I guess like in, in light of everything that's kind of going on right now, you know, the democratization of AI, as well as everything else that happened, we're, we're recording this at the beginning of 24. Like, where do you see as is the biggest founder, or I should say biggest opportunity for founders or the tech industry you know, rolling into 2024? Oh, I mean, it's totally AI, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure most of your guests say the exact same thing. I'm sure most of your listeners are saying the same thing. I mean, the the, the applications I think right now are are pretty incredible and endless. Like I'll, I'll give you a, a very insurance specific example. Every homeowner's insurance policy that's out there, there's an underwriting metric around... Um, you know, how far away is your closest fire hydrant, right? So effectively, you know, you might have a house fire, fire department shows up, how far away is that fire hydrant? Because those seconds or those minutes to actually find it, hook up to it, drag the the hose all the way to the house, like it actually matters um, at scale, right? And so most people, um, and for the longest time, have used city or county-based maps, right? With little tiny pins on them that's like, this is where everything's at. And it has been horrendously hard, right? To be able to, to, to actually find uh, accurate data on that. And every insurance carrier from the biggest in the world down to the OBs um, have struggled with this. We've been able to build uh, internally using some different visual models and some, some, uh, some AI that when you actually enter an address, we have an AI model that will actually drive in concentric circles, Google Street View. Because if you think about it, you can't you can't park in front of a fire hydrant, right? And so, like it it is within like with like ninety eight or ninety nine percent accuracy, like it is accurate, right? And it's costing us like you know a sixteenth of a cent in order to like run that model, right? And start recognizing different things. 
Um, so, you know, that is just one tiny, 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 like example of where this is going, but something very applicable to our space and something that when it's extrapolated across the entire industry, like does actually make a meaningful impact. And when I think about something as small as that, like I can't even comprehend all the different applications and opportunities that this is going to really open up to us in the next, you know, year, three years, five years, or 10 years down the line. Yeah. It's going to get weird. I think, I think agents, there's going to be a lot more agents. They're going to get better this year uh, compared to previous years. Uh, At the same time, video is now at the stage in 2024, like early 2024, where where images were at early 2023, right? And look at how much they they progressed over a year. So I think video is going to go wild um, later this year. I think agents, um, I think there's going to be a lot more uh, open models, I think, too. I think that whole open AI thing with Sam Altman getting fired <laughs> um, and then rehired within like less than a week basically scared the hell yep. out of people of being too reliant on, you know, one API or one provider. Do you agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the one-itis, right? Like same thing that happened with, with, you know, Silicon Valley Bank or some of the other things you, there, there's a, there's a catalyst moment, right. That occurs that, the forces you to actually rethink your, you know, your reliability on, on one single provider. Um, I, I think that that's going to open up an entirely new frontier and a lot of cash is probably going to pour into that. And there's going to be some that are going to work out really well. There's some that aren't, but um, I think overall it's going to be really good for progressing the, the, the space forward. So true. So true. All right, Aaron. Well, we're, we're up on time. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Obi and then we'll wrap things up, man. Yeah, uh, the, the website for OB, uh, it's obinsurance.com, O-B-I-E insurance.com. And I am uh, Aaron at obinsurance.com if anybody ever wants to reach out. Aaron, it was awesome having you on the show, man. Love your perspective. Love your uh, entrepreneurial approach to basically everything <laughs> that you're tackling, man. Um, you can tell you, you, put, you put in the effort, you put in the work to uh, have a really, really solid foundation for not just today, but for kind of next level stuff that you're, you're progressing towards. So thanks for being on, man. Thanks, Ryan. All right. And we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.